A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That point would be through chapter 33 in Brandon Sanderson's The Well of Ascension, the second book in the Mistborn trilogy. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Crossland. I am having so much fun with this book, and I I really wanted to keep listening this week. I only got a chance to listen this week, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I'm missing anything to the text itself, but... I listened to it three times today <laughs> before recording. Oh, there is there is actually something that's strangely textual. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to have to alter a question a little bit to make that fit. Okay. All right. Good to know. This might warp I, your mind when we get there. Or I can look it up. It might be given too much away if I tell you where it is even. I don't even know. That's okay. my problem. <laughs> so anyway, it's interesting because you only, you had a 24 hour turnaround in this. Like that was that yeah. was the reality on this one versus previously. So you listen to it like three times. And yeah, this is a great, great little section that kicks off this third part here. Mm-hmm. I ended up today reading it and then reading the next two sections worth. Basically, once I got done with the notes, I, I read through the next section and I was like, oh, yeah. All right. All right. I know what's going on. I know what's up. Um, very excited. Yes, yes. So today is our sixth episode discussing The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about chapters 28 through 33. But before we do that, PJ, what are you drinking tonight? So I have what's known as the 700 Songs Gimlet, which is from the shanty at New York Distilling Company in Brooklyn, New York. Hmm. So I got this recipe off of Bitterman's website. Okay. Because I got a few Bitterman's uh, bitters. Bitters? So, this one uses one and a half ounces of gin. It calls for Navy Strength gin. I only had about three quarters of an ounce of Navy Strength gin left. So, I did the other half of that with uh, just regular gin. Three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of simple syrup, quarter ounce of cinnamon syrup, and five drops of Bitterman's Hellfire Habanero Shrub. So, honestly, I wish it. I wish I had upped the shrub a little bit. Yeah, just not quite hot enough. Not quite enough. You get it. You get it in the back of your throat, like after, like as an after effect. But on it, you if you didn't know it was there, you might mistake it for the cinnamon. So, it's a really good cocktail. I just think the actual habanero is lost. That's fair. So, Out of curiosity, because I know that the Bitterman's bitters use the droppers, right? Which I, I love personally, because it lets you get really consistent with like how much bitters you add to things. When you're using it, how like how much are you putting in? Do you like I'm curious because they say five drops. Are you like actually boop boop booping or are you like I'm I'm letting it continually go and counting oh. the number of drops. Dang. I bet that is so little. Okay. I I would almost think that they were thinking dashes, but they but they always do it as drops. Yeah, it's weird. That's weird. They always do it in terms of drops, so that makes me think it's 
and it this is on their gadgets, website but it might be like yeah <laughs> so i don't know and maybe maybe i'm my palate just isn't refined enough to pick it out yeah or maybe we've abused ourselves with hot peppers so much that you know that is very good point <laughs> yeah that is a very very good point that i hadn't considered we've completely blown out our spice palette like i've gotten it's gotten to the point where i will have like dishes where i genuinely can't detect like an actual spice level mm. and kaylin will not eat it because it's too spicy <laughs> and like she, does, she oh, doesn't no. handle spice well but like mm-hmm. she handles it a little bit you know mm-hmm. yeah so i just yeah maybe that's fair could be it sneaking in I could drop more in there. I might do that. Um, Following that up, I've got Half Acres Double Daisy Cutter from that back half beer. This is a brewery out of Chicago that I've always really liked, but they've never distributed into Minnesota until like last week. Hmm. So, wow. Pick some of that up. Looking forward to it. Daisy Cutter is their like flagship pale ale. This is the Imperial version of it, which puts it in a weird place because a double pale ale is just an IPA. It, it's It's got that whole sort of naming convention falls out the window once you like add strength to a pale ale. So it's all about marketing at that point. So similarly, if you go session IPA, that's just a pale ale, but IPA sells better. So that's all I have True. to say about that. <laughs> Nice. It sounds good. It sounds yeah. tasty. I I like Half Acre. I had I think I've only ever had them when we were in Chicago together. Yeah. yeah. So that tracks. Cool. What about you? I uh, don't have any beer, so there's no back half beer this time. So I made a double of my cocktail and you you know served it in a good old sixteen ounce with a ton of ice as it recommends. Generally, it recommends crushed ice, but I didn't want it to melt that fast, so I used larger cubes to hopefully let it hold out for longer. So. What I'm drinking is called a Midnight Stinger. It is two ounces of bourbon, two ounces of Fernet Branca, 1.5 ounces of lemon juice, and 1.5 ounces of simple syrup. I used a Demerara because it's, you know, it's brown covered. I just wanted a little bit more richness to it, I thought. And it is amazing. All right. It tastes like a Coca-Cola, but with like a dash of Sprite in there. I don't know what the fuck is going on (laughs) in my mouth, but I love it. Good. You said you made a double. Is that the double? Yeah. Or like... The this recipe you read off, is that the double version? Oh, that it? is a double. That is okay. a double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yep. the recipe, as it calls, is one ounce of bourbon, Generally, one ounce of fernet. One, one, three quarter, three quarter. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. And then generally served with mint on top. I didn't have any mint. I didn't have time to go get it, but you just, you don't, you don't do anything with it outside of like putting that on top for palate reasons and for like scent, which I can imagine because you, you kind of get like a little bit of a minty freshness through in a weird way. Yeah. So, from the fernet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pulls it out. Um, interesting, interesting point. Can you hold up your drink again? That looks like way more volume than seven ounces. It's because there's a lot of ice cubes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's because that that is a full pint glass. Yeah. 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 But there's there were like a lot of ice cubes. ice cubes in here. Yeah. Okay. It's been here for a bit, so they've started gotcha. to melt, which is fine. Okay. Just that's why I was curious. Like, is he drinking? eight ounces of booze right now oh no 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 god dear no dear god no not after this weekend no Mm -hmm. i don't need that 
Yeah. Don't need that in my life. I just didn't have any beer in the house. So I was like, all right, I'm going to find a cocktail that I can reasonably make a double of and like nurse for a while. And uh, this one's really tasty using um, Michter's bourbon, which nice. is good. I definitely prefer the rye to the bourbon or their rye to their bourbon. But yeah, right. it's all it's all. So with that, let's uh, let's get into our chapters. So chapter 28 here right off the bat, we start with the logbook, which we only do when we end on an even part, which doesn't happen that often. So we do actually start this week with the logbook. He left ruin in his wake, but it was forgotten. He created kingdoms and then destroyed them as he remade the world anew. Hmm. This again feels not feels like it's not from the same like logbook. You know, unless it's unless he just starts talking about other things or like starts starts including the actual prophecies. Yeah. But this doesn't feel like he's just talking about his time with Elendi, if it's even Quan anymore. I well, that's I mean, that's an interesting question to raise is if it's even Quan anymore. (sighs) Or it's heavy, heavy in metaphor. I think it might be. And and the reason I say that is if we if we think about Alendi and what we know about Alendi, leaving Runa's right well right, wake, yeah, he conquered kingdoms. He was he was kind of a warrior. He was he was a general. He led an empire. And then, you know, he inspired people to rally and change and then destroyed them as he remade the world anew. That's where like the question comes in. It's like, what's his renewal? Are we talking we're not talking about Rashek, right? Because you think Quan would know I don't know. Depends on when exactly this is composed right yeah yeah tough to parse we've got a lot to talk about with uh, with kwan this week with our boy maybe our boy kwan maybe not our boy uh our first beat of the week to talk about is the deposition of elland and the reaction of those that surround him tindwill dachshund and everyone else are attempting to get him to fight back for the crown by ignoring the laws that he created to govern the new kingdom but he refuses and in more than one way i think it's like a wonderful little bit where he even goes so far as to say you can change my clothing and my bearing but you can't change the soul of who i am our boy elland is just this you know he's a wonderful little righteous paladin yeah, I'm sticking with that metaphor. I mean, yeah, it fits. This really shows his selflessness and how, like the the approach that he took to creating this position and the laws that he put in place. He was entirely a leader out of circumstance, and having a path to replace a corrupt leader was very clearly very important to him, and probably very important to most of the populace the the real problem comes in when the entire rest of the assembly is either corrupt or otherwise compromised so Mm -hmm. it's not infallible yeah it got flipped on him you know it it was it was ultimately it ended up being the opposite of his intent in terms of the way to protect because he Mm -hmm. thought that the people would be more supportive it's it's interesting it points out like that there are obviously always going to be flaws and people looking for loopholes and just about anything to pull something off and it's just it's a great little political beat i love that he's even thinking ahead to like because the the kingship is supposed to be hereditary in the way that it's set up as well and he's like maybe some of my little bastards suck like my dad sucks i it would be foolish of me to not believe that like one of my kids down the line wouldn't suck right so that's it's a nice little nice little flourish obviously we get to spend a lot of this week talking about the politics and kind of the machinations and stuff like that so we don't need to linger on this one too long because this is the setup that i think gets paid off in dividends and spades later 
But this is the mm-hmm. beginning of the double dealing, backstabbing, you know, kind of shit we get here, which yeah. is fun. Yeah. It's a very different book than the first book. Very much so. But mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I really yeah. am enjoying this. Yeah. We are, I think, this week past the halfway point as well. So. Yes. This so. is that turning point because we have 11 episodes. This is episode six. So we are here. I want to bring up two different comments that we see from Vin's perspective here as well. The first is the thought that she has about what Zane said. You aren't like him kind of whispering and scratching at the back of her mind. And the second is that of Kelsier when she's seeing Ellen have this <clears throat> conversation and how he would never be as good of a king as Ellen could be. Kelsier could never live up, could never do what Ellen is doing. Do you, I, I'm curious, this is more of a morbid curiosity for me because so much of this book is fixated on the survivor and even Ellen later is using the memory of the survivor as this sort of tool to advance his, his goals and means. Do you, what are your re- residual feelings about Kelsier now that we've kind of distanced ourselves from that mentor? I think she's absolutely right in her thoughts here. Mm-hmm. Kelsier was a very necessary force. But Ellen's vision for how to build the new government is really the balance between what Kelsier would have wanted and what he was striving for and what's actually functional. You know, like it's concessions have to be made. And part of that, like we talk about a lot throughout this chapter, is dealing with the noblemen because they know how to govern people. And like it or not, you kind of have to navigate that sort of landscape of corruption in order to actually get anything done yeah definitely you definitely need to navigate you need to have the political savvy and wherewithal not just the i am a you know a powerful man in a powerful position you know Mm -hmm. listen to me which is kind of the way that kelsey was turning at the end of the last book in a way and there's Um, also the points even even those sort of philosophical points from ellen that are more reflective of what Kelsier would have been striving for, of strictly looking out for every individual ska and making sure that they're never subjected to anything again. That's proving to be something really, really difficult to enforce when you have to decide between certain doom and subjugation. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, doom but survival, or, or no, subjugation but survival or just obliteration right right yeah and neither are good options of the leftovers right neither are good le- options and kelsier wouldn't have had the foresight to see it any other way but the one way that he sees things right wouldn't wouldn't be able, wouldn't be willing to compromise there's not a bone in his body that would compromise and but, that's not to say that ellen is compromising i think right. either he's just giving the front of you know he's trying to hear all sides so that he can sort out the best answer yeah, exactly. Because that's the whole point of the moral paladin, right? It's that he doesn't really compromise on his morals, but he figures out the best way to get them done without, right. you know, he's not he's not going to go assassinate someone. He kind of refuses to do that many times, even though it would be easy. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other what what was res- I, I, I want to ask leftover thoughts now that we're we're removed from that book, though. I want to know any other thoughts you have about Kelsier that are like stuck, stuck with you, stuck to you. I don't think he would have been effective if not a martyr. Okay. I think he needed to die in order to get his point across. Okay. Like I and he he understands that. 
he understood that from the jump. So that was the plan all along. But I think, I don't think they'd be where they are without him sacrificing himself. Yeah, he either had to be the hero or the martyr, right? Like he either had to kill the Lord Ruler with the 11th medal, however that was going to happen, which he didn't think it was going to work and it didn't, no shock, or be the martyr, which is what he was actually setting himself up to be. I, but he could still kill the Lord Ruler and not enact the amount of change no. needed. True. Yeah. He needed, he needed to get the populace on their side. And he did that by coming back from the dead, basically, through mm-hmm. Orsur. Yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. Because now he's an image of hope, in a way. Yeah. Okay. All right. My thing wasn't scrolling. I didn't know why I wasn't clicked into the window. That's why. <laughs> it's like, why Why aren't you moving? This isn't This isn't good. Or Sir's little joke to Vin about eating either Hammer Breeze here as like a side conversation that he like whispers out of the side of his mouth is really a hysterical moment, especially because it's almost unclear if like he knows that she's always burning tin and is like aware that she'll hear when it's that low or if she just catches it and then he like leans into it and is like, is that what I said was funny though? You know, right. I think he it's knows. just great. Yeah. I think he knows. And it was intentionally like just to her. Yeah. 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 And I think an uncharacteristic level or moment of sort of levity from him and comedy and I think we see this quite a bit throughout this section. It's an indication that their relationship is progressing and that a friendship is actually kind of being forged. But specifically here, I absolutely laughed out loud. Yeah, this one got me again today when I was going through the notes and I was like, oh, shit, right, that's funny. And then he's like, it's Chandra humor, miss. <laughs> it's a little dark, I'm sorry. Especially because actually what's what's funny is is that it's almost like a three-beat joke because Ham and Breeze do their usual banter, which is pretty funny. We kind of know what it is, though. And then we get mm-hmm. this third beat that is Orsur, like being the punch, like the true punchline, which is just mm-hmm. great. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. Tinwell and Breeze share blows, though, during this conversation. You know, it starts, obviously, with Breeze and Ham talking and then moves to Tinwell and Breeze about the state of Sazed and the decisions that he made regarding his position as a member of the crew, as a portion of the Synod or Synod and his assignment from them, and what he should be doing as a keeper. This isn't exactly a clear thought or question on my part. It's more just like a, a thing. But what do, you, what do you make of, like, Tindwell's position or resentment towards Sazed for taking a side in the previous political matter that was taking down the Lord Ruler? Her concerns are perfectly valid. The fact that they succeeded. Does valid make, mean correct, though? No, not. I okay. mean, I, I don't just, think I had to clarify. I don't think that there's a correct or incorrect here. Sure. I think okay. she has a very good point in that mm-hmm. it, it, it'd be easy to dismiss these sort of concerns after the fact because they succeeded. Yeah. Like call them over the top or just unnecessarily like cautious. But Sazed being part of such a reckless group risked so much for the Keepers. He he had so much knowledge about, like, the fact that Farrakmi was still in existence, first of all. The fact that, like, all of his knowledge, thousands of years of knowledge, could have been completely yeah. lost. And I, I, just their entire sort of secret... It's not a secret society necessarily, but kind there of. are secrets. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to a certain extent, there are a lot of secrets within their society that he was privy to and 
could have been tortured for. So he could have brought down their entire, like the entirety of the keepers if he had gotten caught. So she has a right to be upset with him putting his neck out there with all of their lives on the line as well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree in the slightest that she she has every right to be upset. But I think at this point, it's it's a little bit divisive to me that she sort of is settling into this pattern. Well, and maybe maybe this is the issue, right? Like, it's how do you how do you feel about her? And I know that we were just talking about this a little bit, but like, how do you feel about her saying that like he should be going to go teach as opposed to helping friends and like sharing this information? Like his objective, assi- his assigned objective versus what's right and good for people in general. I think the idea is that they have these roles for a reason, and she made a really good point. I think last week or two weeks ago that we talked about that him abandoning those duties mean that it's entirely possible the people that he was supposed to be teaching won't know how to survive over the winter and he can justify it as grand scheme and bigger quest but he didn't tell anybody so they couldn't send a replacement to like save all those people from the elements true but he was bored pj people dying (laughs) you know yeah. he's bored i'm just kidding right fair point though and that that is kind of the point that tyndall's making is like you're doing this at the at the risk of a ton of other people's lives and well-being that you literally fought to save and you're just sort of needlessly expending their lives yeah okay i just want to get like your full your full breadth on that what she kind of comes across as the fun sucker and like she is the fun sucker damn it but but, but she's, she's not wrong She's not necessarily right either. Like, there are arguments on both sides. And Sazed's our boy. One of our boys. True. Like, we gotta we gotta be on his side to a certain extent. Just narratively. But I don't think she's wrong in the slightest. Okay. Alright. What do you make of Tyndall's apology and her proposed dilemma between Ellen saving his people or being with Vin? It's it's a, it's a similar thing. It's it just is a we flip out thing. Ellen and we flip in Sazed. So I think the difference is her goals with Ellen are less less about life and death and duty and stuff. And it is to a certain extent, but I think her her point and her main thing with Ellen is making him think about his decisions really really carefully and making sure he adds some conviction to every move that he makes. Like it's really just bolstering confidence through, mm-hmm. through questioning, you know? Yeah. And making him realize that he's not going to get anywhere with uncertainty. Oh, those are really deep. Burp. You're right with the, with the questioning with uncertainty. And I, I think that that is kind of, I, I think we get a little bit of this later too with, no, this is literally what I'm thinking. I don't know why I'm saying later. This is exactly the section that I'm thinking. So we, we get, we get this even a little bit further where he really, he sort of doubles down and pushes back. And I think a great way for his character, right? Like he, he's showing that positive growth. He even corrects himself when he's about to like misspeak mm-hmm. to her and instead like kind of exudes Ex- a little bit more of that authoritative yeah yeah he's he's about to say like it's okay but remembers her teaching and and says i accept your apology instead yeah which you know i don't know if it was a test 
but I don't think so. It, but everything's a test with Tinder. But everything's a test. <laughs> right? Like like any failure is an F. Yeah. Yeah. I like the character that we're getting out of Elland. It's really cool because Elland is is there in the first book and he's a good character, but now he's like front and center stage like he should be and gives us a really interesting perspective on the journey of a good king. Like what makes a good king and how do you get there? And that's you know, unfortunately our king got deposed, but you know. Yep. Yep. Whoop. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops and daisies. Um okay, with that we move into chapter twenty nine. Uh, logbook here to kick it off. There were other proofs to connect Elendi to the Hero of Ages. Smaller things, things that only one trained in the lore of the anticipation would have noticed. The birthmark on his arm, the way his hair turned gray when he was barely 25 years of age, the way he spoke, the way he treated people, the way he ruled. He simply seemed to fit. Did we ever talk about a birthmark on Vin's arm? Like, I don't know. Way at the beginning of the first book genuinely don't remember i don't know if i'm just like thinking about this this quote too much but i feel like we talked about that not not us but i feel like it was mentioned at some point i don't i I genuinely don't remember and so i cannot provide you an answer there i don't think so but what i will say is that i think that even your suspicion of directly connecting this with vind is what this passage is trying to do right it's like absolutely just seems to fit and and so that's where we like spend a lot of this not this chapter but a lot of this rest of the section is thinking about what fits it's at the end of this section where she's like oh the deepness and it like all clicks and it's like oh that fits and there's a lot of that going on right now yeah yeah there is but the anticipation i believe is capitalized yes yep yeah which is capitalizations are important man yeah yeah <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's the name of Generally the prophecy speaking. i'm guessing or the series of prophecies that sounds right i the i thought that it was slightly different than that it was it's more that yeah no i think i think that's probably the best way of putting it, it it's like the 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 traits and the things to expect from the leader. So that's the prophecies, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that fits. Yep. Cool. I'd agree. We we kick off this chapter with a discussion of Vin's chronic insomnia, of which both you and I have had over our lifetimes. We both have big, <laughs> saggy, baggy eyes because we were probably both up late doing shit last night because we can't stop doing shit. <laughs> which is exactly what Vin's experiencing. What I wouldn't give to be able to burn pewter to get through all of these downsides, which include being tired in the middle of the day all the time forever. Um, yep. In in addition to all kinds of other things. But I, I think this wear and tear is clearly burning her out slowly here. What do you make of Orsur's observations as well as the thumping keeping her awake? I mean, we kind of know what the thumping is, but I mean, like, her observations mm-hmm. and the connections that she's making between that and the thumping and everything else going on. So Orsur's observations primarily brought to mind some of the warnings that we got from Kelsier from the first book regarding how overuse of alimantic metals can lead to like physical dependencies on them. Yes. I can't, I can't recall exactly how it was described. If it even applied to pewter specifically, or if it was just, I think it wasn't specific to pewter. It was, it was metals in general, but, but the example that we got was pewter dragging. Yeah. But I, I think it was even, we didn't get an example of what he was talking about. He was talking about like long-term, yes long-term yeah. but pewter dragging is one example of a side effect but there's probably worse this is mm. that's just like a you know yeah a trait but you're right you're right. right we haven't seen 
Yeah, I, I think this is what he was talking about. And I, I, or I think this is the beginnings of what he was talking about. And I think it's going to lead to something really problematic for her. So, yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Vin, get it, get it together. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like this section quite a bit this entire chapter section it's pretty short it's like maybe four or five pages it's it's a pretty quick burn through but Mm -hmm. it is so great because we get this picture of vin again i've like leaned into this conversation quite a bit but she is like on a knife's edge in terms of like sanity and sleep and like a lot of these different things and paranoia kind of abounding because she feels this this drive, this desire that her only goal in life is to protect Ellen and to try to figure out what the fuck is going, what the fuck else is going on. But like nothing else matters for the most part. And uh, it's burning her out. She's, yeah. she's going to have a bad time, bad time. Yeah. Cause she's, she, she's basically talking when she's like, she's afraid of turning it off because she can like feel the little aches that are there, like underneath yeah. the surface. She's basically building a hangover. The cumulative hangover will probably kill her. Like, you know, it's, it's reminds, I'm not saying oh, literally, fuck. but I'm saying it reminds me of that meme. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you've been drink. I think it's Archer in the show. He's like, I've been drink. I've been drunk for so many days in a row that I think the cumulative hangover would literally kill me. So, uh, and it feels very much, it has that energy. It, it does, but it, it's a very, very real possibility here. Yes. Archer's like, is a joke. This is real. <laughs> we know that's happened. Pewter dragon before. And has she slept at all? Like three to four hours a night. Okay. Well, actually, that's kind of what I'm on. Or sure's like, that's not enough for people. PJ, yeah. you need to listen to our story. I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be four, fair, I think I also slept five hours. Four to five. <laughs> four yeah. to five. I try to get eight. I try really hard to get eight. I don't. I, I mean, I'd love to, to, but I can't. Yeah. Getting eight hours of sleep puts me in bed by 8.30. Oh, God, because you get up so fucking early. I forget about that every time. Yep. That's balls, man. Why do you get up that early every day? Oh, no. 9.30. 9.30. Wake up at 5.30. Okay. But why? Because I have to. I have to? I don't know. That Fun. gives me an hour before I have to start work. No shit. You start working at 6.30. That blows. Yeah. And you know that what? That makes sense. You know what? That's going to get even next week. I get to be in the office starting it. Oh, that blow. At that time. Well, actually, probably before that, because now we're going to tens. Instead of five eights, we're going to four tens. So I bet I start in the office at six. The narrator was not happy with that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That sucks. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I have to to figure that out. It's not super strict, but... I don't I I don't want to be in the office until five. I'd rather get done at four like I do now. So and I tend to I tend to work nines right now because I'm in school, so I don't actually hit forty hours most of the time. You know, it's a fun time. Ah geez. Better better start applying for those remote jobs in that free time that you super have. I love my job though. I really I really love it. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, right. But Again, not shitting on your job, but so 
moving moving on a little bit from that, Orsor is really kind of our biggest counterpoint in this chapter, getting to chat with Vin about Zane and have these frank and honest conversations with her about what he thinks. And we, we were talking about sort of the the growth that we're seeing and experiencing it from them. They talk a little bit about like form changing and, and some stuff about the contract. And he seems to have shifted away from resenting her. And playing a little bit more loose with the necessity to be commanded to share information or to talk, which is a good change, I think. Yeah. It's a a change. It seems to me more and more that the contract, while real and like while it exists, has been mostly used as an excuse to not give up information to previous masters. Mm. He doesn't seem to worry so much about like repercussions for breaking the contract at all so i'm i'm wondering if there are any other than like the social potential repercussions of like betraying his species if anything were to go wrong like if 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 he were to to fuck something up like major like killing somebody and like bringing attention that chondras can kill people and are dangerous again that would be a problem for the people like for the for the species but Giving a little bit of information to help Vin isn't going to be a danger to Chandra kind, so to speak. So it seems like those those are in like those are part of the contract in order to allow them to like kind of be obstinate and not actually like help too much if they don't want to. Yeah, the Chandra community is not going to you know yeah flip a dead on this one. I. I they might. It's but. such a weird... I have such a weird relationship with this contract because at the beginning, it felt very mystical and, like, magically binding. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, ah, it doesn't fucking matter. Like... <laughs> I, it just... It feels like his relationship to the contract is an mm-hmm. inverse relationship to his relationship with Vin. Sure. So, so as he slips away from the contract, now, he's slipping he's slipping and talking more about other things. Kind of. I, I, I understand the inverse relationship. Yeah. I was just trying to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm just waiting until Well, he, he can kill people, right? He just can't be commanded to. No, we that <laughs> that's the that's the weird thing. Is initially he said he can't be commanded to kill people. Mm-hmm. Then he said, Chandra can't kill people, period. What are the rules? Can he bite somebody's jugular out now as a dog? <laughs> good, if he good agrees, cue. if he wants to. Yeah. I mean, what's the extent? Where, where, Where's the line? Where's the line between your passion mm-hmm. and your crime? Where's the line? What, what are the rules? What? What are the rules? Are the rules? I was going Billy Talent, but yeah, I mean, fair point. <laughs> Always funny. For sure. For sure. For sure. That's better. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I... I think that's some of the, oh, do you call it fun or do you just say complication? Yeah, the complication here. I'm just, what I'm wrestling with is, are there rules at all? <laughs> like from, from a mechanics standpoint. Right, right. You're roiling. I can tell. <laughs> like, <laughs> the fuck is this contract, man? <laughs> I love the Chandra. I think they're some of the most interesting creatures I just in fantasy they sound so like i wish i knew more about them crossland mm-hmm. i uh i uh yeah i also yep yep mm. hmm 
Oh, this is making me burpy. That's weird. That never happens. I yeah, this could be a recipe. It's not for carbonated, disaster. is it? Nope. There's no carbonation in it at all, and I am burping. I don't know what's going on. Okay, but yeah, the contract is this rule set, right? Or it seems to be, and we don't know what it is, and we seem to see like Orsur kind of use it willy nilly and agree, disagree, make counter statements, statements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It it felt what almost you, like let's, let's the, do this. So there are earlier, but like when he starts sharing information about the contract, like that goes against the contract, there's those looks of like conflict and discomfort. And it almost now feels like that discomfort was with himself and him Mm -hmm. like having to force himself to go against his instinct of like distrusting his master and wanting to help like actually help somebody who's he's bound to so in retrospect that's kind of what it feels like is that it's him wrestling with his own perception of like what it means to be in existence as a chondra right now yeah yeah especially i was it i think it was not last week but two weeks ago when we were talking about our store and like the beatings and then be forced to regenerate being forced to regenerate and stuff like that and that's where like i think that some of this that nature started to break down and where he started to open up to this degree and where he's he like you said he's cringing based on the contract or like some internal thing but it doesn't feel like he's physically maybe in pain from something magical that feels like what you're kind of alluding to yeah i i guess more what i'm alluding to is those feelings of discomfort felt like Mm -hmm. guilt for breaking the contract and i'm thinking now it's more like him going against his better judgment you know like i shouldn't trust her because she's she's the master so like why would i trust her with any extra information as opposed Mm to i'm putting myself out out there for her but i i'm scared about what this means for the contract like those are two very different things but kind of can be manifested the same way yes yeah entirely especially when you're talking about the contract right 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 yep so you're not even you're not even messing with the implication of magic you don't think there's anything magical about this contract <sighs> well he's already broken it a bunch of times yeah okay all right so either it's a case is building <laughs> against him or like there's not if it was magically binding i don't think he'd be physically able to do that you know sure i don't know what are the rules? What are the rules? So, moving on from that, why do you think Vin remains so fixated on Zane in these moments, even when she reminds herself of Ellen? Like, she's spinning around on this, on these Zane questions and thoughts quite often this week. And even, like, winks at her later. She seems to be longing for understanding. For somebody who really gets... That's a great way What she it. is. Mm-hmm. And what she does in the position that she's in. Because she has yeah. nobody... She has absolutely nobody to like sympathize with her, to understand her. And this is this is the first Mistborn that we've interacted with since Kelsier died. Right? Other than like one fight scene early on. Yeah. And that was not like conversational. <laughs> I was just No, fighting. yeah, there's there's no conversation there. There were some coins. So I think sh- this is her missing Kelsier. And missing some sort of companionship on a professional level. 
and who knows if that can manifest i I don't think it's coming across as romantic Mm -hmm. or like there's some implications of flirtation once in a while but i I don't think that's the main point Mm -hmm. at least for at least for vin maybe that's zane's ulterior motive or like his his not his actual motive but his sort of intention is to kind of try to use that to get to her sure but i don't think that she's reading into it that way i think i think she's just looking for someone else who gets her yeah she's seeking empathy yeah yeah womp sorry sympathy or empathy empathy it's empathy this would be empathy because it's someone who has the experience okay then what are empaths Empaths are people who understand people's emotions innately or like read or feel people's emotions, but they're, they're like experiencing them. But don't like they have to experience? So okay. That's the point. So when someone gets emotional, so like if you get angry, they get angry. Okay. Does that make sense? Like people who yeah. cry when other people cry, that's an empathic response. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. That makes much more sense to me now. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So she's seeking empathy though. I mean, that's yep. kind of. That's that's totally what it is. And, you know, she she loves Ellen, but she can't at the same time. She's having trouble seeing herself with him because partially because, like, it's not that he doesn't necessarily understand. It's just that someone else does understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is that difference between sympathy and empathy. And she's gravitating towards the empathic here. Gotcha. Yeah. Or also and I'd say I say or but Brandon makes a really clever joke here through or about aged meat that I think is just brilliant. And it makes me like giggle and laugh. And I think it's a really clever little clever joke, just like wine or cheese, which is funny to me because obviously, again, Brandon doesn't drink, but just a mad, mad bastard of a dog. <laughs> so I don't think it's I, I think, yes, it's said comedically. Mm hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily entirely a joke. No, I think Orser is very serious about his meat love, his rancid meat love. Yeah, and it's not just because he's a dog. Because he talks about how he never right. gets to yeah. eat good meals as a human. Mm-hmm. And now as a dog, because dogs eat meat like that sometimes, he'd actually be able to enjoy a meal like that. And she oh, makes yeah. the comment about it like being a result of being descended from scavengers like so he genuinely as or sewer as the chondra wants rancid meat aged meat <laughs> rotting yes yes I, I meant i meant yeah that's what i meant <laughs> he like answers that way and it's like wow dude um you know this this is so stupid but i actually didn't register i didn't give it the thought that it probably that it warranted like you're saying because like of course he likes rancid meat because he eats fucking dead bodies like that's that's what he do like he eats yeah. he eats the aged corpse a little bit mm-hmm. and he, he likes a little bit more time on it you know he'd probably like it barrel aged a little bit of salt some oaky <laughs> notes i don't know yeah yeah exactly as lord renew he had the power to just kind of like store some <laughs> store a store a ham hock under his pillow or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure but he had to he couldn't be sus you know so he he would have i don't know all right in the in the crate at the end of his bed then i don't know he had a whole keep to himself. All right. So to kick off chapter 30 here, we've got our logbook. 
But I must continue with the sparest of detail. Space is limited. The other world bringers must have thought themselves humble when they came to me, admitting that they had been wrong about Lendi. Even then, I was beginning to doubt my original declaration. However, I was prideful. So, I'm wondering if this directly plays into what we're seeing politically through this section of, I'm bringing in this person who I believe is going to bring, like, I'm, I believe is going to be the best for the people. So I'll, I'll vote in Lord Set as king and go along with his plan. And like not wanting to give up the position of power that you're in because you falsely like propped up this person. I don't know. I, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to like think that there's a parallel there with this, but that's my only thought on it. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I think this is interesting because it's doubt and pride are like the two big takeaways here, right? And even in the next one, I think is a very quick one that we've actually read before when I think we read it on the wall, which is, you know, that maybe he doomed us all. Which again, maybe my pride doomed us all is I think what the next one is. Very short. We'll read it when we get there too. But I think that is kind of what we're pointing to to some degree is the idea that pride is, is a massive failure and fault of and sort of even the idea that he thinks that he is the announcer or or a an announcer is a big problem. Yeah, and I think it does I think it does intentionally parallel this section a little bit. Not not necessarily this chapter directly, but the chapters to come perhaps. Because we go from this logbook section into two pages of logbook. Um and we have Sazed and the rubbing, of course, that he's reading here. Any thoughts on the reading of the two pages of text? This is not, you know, the completed translated rubbing or anything like that. So we still have more stuff to look forward to. But a good chunk mm. of it that we've read before assembled into kind of the single single cut. Yeah. Weirdly, I really felt like there would have been a lot more connective tissue between the passages that we've seen. But basically, it's what we've seen kind of end to end. A little bit of wording here and there that like connects it and makes it like a paragraph or paragraphs, but there's not really any new content. I don't think, and that's fine. I was just under the impression that all of these like passages were a lot more spread out. Oh, so. across the book itself. Yeah, or rather, not the book, but the the, the, the rubbing. Yeah, yeah. the play. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was just kind of surprising to me because they're not necessarily in order through the through the first part of the book but now it feels like we've gotten the first half of the book and that's like front to back the first section of rubbing Mm -hmm. so right with some gaps there there are some things that we've read before that aren't here and there are some that's true there's a little bit vice versa but not that much so we've got some like forward looking stuff to some to some degree but not not that much so for instance, I don't think we have the like first line, which is something like, uh, don't trust anything that isn't written in metal. I write these words in steel for anything not set in metal cannot be trusted. You know, like that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And we don't I don't think we get that reminder here. Sorry, I'm just double checking. Yeah, it basically starts right after that. There are there's a couple of things. I write this record now, pounding it into a metal slab because I'm afraid, afraid for myself. Yes, I admit to being human. If Alendi does not return from the well of ascension, I'm certain that my death will be one of his first objectives. I think that some of that was said in a section, but I don't think the first line was. Again, like you said, it's rounding out paragraphs, more or less. Any new takes from the text? Seeing it all assembled so far? It's so much. Like he said, this is this is like 
10% of what he has, something like that. Because I, I thought it remember. said he, it's like 20 pages total. And this is like the first two pages of rubbings. Yeah, this one bit of writing, perhaps 20 pages to- total, could easily keep him busy for months, even years. So this section that we're actually reading is 20 pages. Oh, gotcha. Because here's what it says specifically. This one bit of writing, perhaps 20 pages total, could easily keep him busy for months. Oh, that's probably the entire thing. Yeah. it's yeah. That's confusingly worded, but... So how long was this section in pages of rubbing? I don't think... He doesn't say. Okay. Yeah. I think I got two pages because it's like two pages in our book. Yeah, right, right. Which would be 10%, but I assume it's probably more than that. Mm. In, you know... I did Maybe their I did language some is a really physical reading. I didn't only... I. I looked at stuff yeah. when I was going through notes. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Generally the time to do it. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I just want to know if you had any any takeaways. The hiccup or the burp. It's weird. I don't get it. Vin arrives and begins a conversation with Sazed about the reality of the deepness. We've chatted about this before, but what did what do you think about their breakdown and oral history of times before the ascension and the conversation that it is occurring around the deepness? Vin sounds a lot like me when I'm making predictions, <laughs> but in this case, I think she's actually right. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's just got so much confidence and it's great to have a good sense of like what's correct and what's true. But at a certain point, like when you're wrong, that hurts a lot more. So I have a feeling that I think she's right, but I think this will be. I don't know. I think she's going to start speaking out about like her gut feelings more and more. And I think once she gets something wrong, it's going to make her really question everything that she's ever guessed. Mm. And then like second guess this and it's going to get into a whole thing. I don't know. I'm realizing more and more that this is actually a great pick of a book because hopefully it makes you like trust writers no, a little bit more. Of course not. I mean, it might. I don't know. It might. <laughs> I see. I totally, I totally get your point, and I think that that's a a very nuanced way of looking at it because it does feel like that sort of sort of the meta commentary, right? Like she's she's growing in all these ways, and so there's going to be a point where something bites her back for you know misplacing trust to some degree. Yeah, yeah, and just being overconfident, overlooking something, or just being right about all the signs. And it's still like, it still just isn't the right answer, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. Like, like her, her point of nothing contradicts this, but that doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. She's says it says nothing contradicts that, but that doesn't mean it's true. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I great. I think that's a great, it's a great way of looking at it too. And it's great that they're the ones having this banter, of course, a, because it's fun to see because Vin before was like making fun of reading and was like, why do I have to learn to read and all this stuff? And now she's actually like actively studying, which is very different Mm -hmm. than the Vin that we knew. And sort of counter to my point, the fact that she's having this conversation with Sazed, I think means that she'll put a little bit more weight into what he says. Whereas if she was saying this to Ellen, I think any sort of pushback on it wouldn't be taken as seriously. But she really, really trusts Sazed's perspective on things. Yeah, he's got the best wherewithal and knowledge about these things. He also was breaking down the previous book and knows it front to back very well with her. And so is like the act of discovery is 
is something that she shares with Sazed in a very interesting way. Like that's that's a big part of their relationship to some degree. And so this mm-hmm. feels like the open forum for them to have that kind of a conversation. Love that. That's a great comparison. Of course, we spend a lot more time talking about these pages, and this is kind of a big chapter for contemplation. But another reason that Vin brings up for why this feels very reminiscent is the pages regarding the mist-like shadow that the hero sees because Vin shares that she's seen it as well, says it shivers, and they both kind of out of text it seems almost like ponder what that means like it doesn't say that they're sitting there questioning but you can almost like feel the silence you know between them if you if you sit and think with it for a second i i actually i want to get back to the the sort of core crux of my question here but i want to take a brief side tour recently was listening to an interview this weekend in a little bit of the downtime that i had on saturday and of brandon sanderson and he mentioned that his writing style is like he calls it window pane writing which is to say that like gives you the lens on the world right and then you add the sort of interpretation or flavor to some degree he has flavor it's not to say that his text is flavorless or anything like that but he's really just trying to give you as clear of a picture of the world so that you can then kind of piece in some of the details which is very movie like so yeah i just thought that was an interesting description that is Um, but uh, isn't that every writer no because i think flower i even i don't i don't want to get into like talking about pierce too much but like flowery prose right purple prose is very different where it's okay. it's meant to be it is it is still evoking images in your head but the writer is specifically planting a very specific image that they want you to okay. see okay or a, an emotion to feel you get some you do get some emotions from sanderson i'm not saying that he's bland and i don't think that's what he's implying either or like that he's a clean slate or that his characters are entirely there for you to impart emotion upon but he's not there to like pick at all of the nuances of the emotions or like all of the details of a feast or all of the steps of a dance. It's just a dance and imagine the dance as you will imagine the feast as you will like picture. Okay. Take the in universe stuff and like, I understand now. I thought you meant more big picture. No, no, I, yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's got the big picture down. That's, that's what he rocks at. Yeah. He's very good at painting the big vistas, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, getting getting back to it a little bit. So talking about the mist like shadow and whatnot, and this is that quiet contemplation where I'm like, we don't really see it, but we do kind of feel it as they sit there in quiet, that there's the distinct possibility that another hero might come. I think Sazed comes out of this saying that like they don't that he doesn't believe necessarily that another hero will come, but they also both seem to kind of textually try to confront the fact or ignore the fact even maybe that Vin might be the hero. Like they're on opposite sides here, but they're like Vin is kind of positing that she might be the hero, but like not really Ignoring's wrong. This is the wrong phrasing. Vin's kind of like, yeah. am I the hero? And says, it's like, you can't be the hero, you know, like that's kind of the energy. So I I'm think energy a lot. <laughs> it's, it's more just nonverbal, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's more something that goes a little unsaid. But they seem to acknowledge that it's a possibility. Sazed basically, like everything, wants hard proof before he'll, like, say it's true, you know? Right. And Vin doesn't want to be the one to say that she is. But I don't think either of them really straight up say it's wrong. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, you're right. They're they're, not outright denying it. They're, yeah, they're not shooting it down, so to speak. Sazed says something that, like, kind of noncommittal, 
and Vin kind of pushes him to say, like, just tell me, tell me I'm wrong. And he apologizes for like being too stately or too like, what's the term? He was a not servant steward steward. He like, he blames it on his stewardly upbringing, but doesn't like, doesn't then take the, like take the initiative to straight up say that she's wrong. I think, I think he was intentionally being a little wishy-washy about it. Yeah. It's kind of a disarming way of walking out of that. Yeah. Yeah, because he 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 doesn't apologize and then go through with say I think you're wrong. He just apologizes, <laughs> like, pseudo apologizes, yeah. and then leaves it at that. So I think kind he of believes it. Straight up, kidding. I think he believes yeah. it. But does, like he's been reading this about Quan, and he's been studying mm-hmm. this, and he's like, how am I supposed to bring the next per- like the next hero of ages up after reading this shit? So I think there's that to take into consideration, but. Sazed's character in general is one of wanting hard proof. So those two together mean that he's not gonna he's not gonna jump into like claiming that Vin's the hero of ages. Of course yeah, not. Right. And Vin's not confident enough to bring that up herself. Also, wouldn't it seem suspicious that two of the documents that they found have had critical information to the like repair of the of the world? At large, you know, like I feel like there's a little bit of suspicion there as well. You know, there there was also the <laughs> I think we're getting PJ paranoid thoughts. No, it, it's not. It's not paranoid. It's it's prophecy. Like it, it's straight up prophecy because this is the position that Quan kind of put himself into. Was I, I can't remember the term, but the the person who finds the hero of ages. Announcer, yeah. The announcer. Mm-hmm. I think it is like set up to be that character. And having having this documentation of the potential like failure of the last one. Repercussions, yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be like it's gonna take so much for him to jump into that role. But he knows it. But he's be like all of this shit is just getting dumped on him. He is happening upon all of this super important information that's pushing him to be this character. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I, I think that that's a great, great read is that he's being cautious because, he, again, we, we talked about kind of that, that moment of almost stretching the silence a little bit ago. And this feels like another reason that there's that kind of consideration for the quiet contemplation here is like... Am I in Quan's shoes? Is that what's going on? Like, <laughs> if that's what's going on, then I have to make sure that I'm right. And I definitely don't want to mislead her because then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like Quan believes Lendi was. And we also don't know if he was wrong. If Quan was wrong? Yeah, because... Yeah, true. Because Lendi got, like, struck down. We'll never know how many licks it takes to get to the center of a well of ascension pop. We might maybe <laughs> the name of the book is well of ascension oh shit i, I ignored that i didn't huh I, what fuck <laughs> i love when it came up in the last book and like obviously hero of ages is another one right we know that that's the third book's title and so there's clearly there's some there's some leading <laughs> structure statements yeah there there is i'm trying not to let that like play in 
at all. This is mm-hmm. why Team No Hype is so important. Because any little fucking thing I will dig into. Yeah, right. Any little detail will just throw you in a direction. Yeah. So we end this chapter with a powerful contemplation on pain, that of Tindwill and how she was made to be a breeder in the Lord Ruler's breeding program, bearing over 20 children. This is, I mean, obviously a very painful point of conversation. That's also accompanied with the smallest tinge of hope here, right? She was inserted into the program by the Synod, the the sort of, as we know them, kind of the keeper, secret society, government-y people, so that she could ensure that those children were all born with ferrochemical abilities, as ferrochemy is hereditary, of which we now fully know. Yeah. So we don't know if it's like a guarantee. Sure. We like, but anyway, what I was most surprised to learn was that these breeding programs is, existed long after they believed that Farrakami was extinct. So they, they say there are other traits that they were like looking to like breed. Yeah. Docile. They listen well. Yeah, but I'm just surprised it was so well hidden. And I'm wait, what do you which bit? Oh, the the people the that are keepers. Oh, okay, the Farrakami in general, the fact that it was so well hidden, and it it makes me like reading this section made me even more surprised by how brazen Sazed was with using his Farrakami in the last book, right? Like yeah, that's some serious Batman energy. Yeah, like <laughs> do not figure out my secret identity. I'll be <laughs> fucked. <laughs> so there, there's so many more like random thoughts running through my mind about this mm-hmm. section but if it's so like if the breeding is so sele- like selective and so controlled and they were explicitly very lucky to get tindwell into the breeding program in general how far-fetched would it be to think that she might be Sazed's mother i think they're stated to be similar ages are they okay yeah but not an unreasonable not an unreasonable thought and like the question is is you know the i think the thing that i really appreciate about this section and this like conversation with tin or like about tindwell is it paints all of the other terrace terrace women that were in the situation and it gives you perspective on like so the ska had one type of oppression which was absolutely awful the terrace we knew had like a bad time, obviously, like it did not have it was not good for the terrorists. But this is like horrific in a very different way. I mean, this is yeah, for sure. Eugenics, not even straight up, like <laughs> not even a metaphor for it. It just nope. is. It, it is. just yeah. is eugenics. Yeah. I need to rethink like either how I think about says or how I think about Tindwell now, because I always thought about says as like, I don't know. 40-ish, and I think of Tindwell as, like, 60, 70-year-old, like, wise old terrace lady, mm. but, like, hardened, like, like a teacher nun, you know, like, just a hard-ass, like, teacher. So now, which one's, do we know She's about 50 years old. They're both the about 50? She's 50. I'm double-checking Cesar real quick. Okay. Just to make sure. That makes Pretty sense. sure that's about right. You might have been upper 40s, but she had kids when she was like 15. Yeah. It doesn't give says its age. I will just confirm for you that he's not the kid because I'm pretty sure it says that they're similar aged. Okay. I'll, I'll just confirm it. That's not that's not something to be worried about. 
Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I thought And I don't I don't like doing that, but I'm pretty sure that the age is somewhere there. But Yeah. You see where I was coming from though, right? I do understand. Yes, yes. It feels yeah. like it's that secret that's lurking around the corner that you want to know. Like what's their history? Because he stands up for her pretty quick, but obviously that's because this is also horrific and awful. Yeah. So you can see you can see both. It wasn't even about like I'm just curious how many Farrakhmists exist now. Yeah, you know? that's a great question. Like, that That's more where I was coming from. Yeah. Because um, we, we know that the Keepers are all Farrakhmists. Like, that's the, the point, right? Yeah. Yep. We did get more, I think it was this section, where Vin was, like, playing with her mother's earring. That sounds right. I think I think it was with Sazed. And so, first, first thing. Still, still pretty sure... Still pretty sure that her mother was a Farrakhmist. Don't know what to make of that. Don't know how that can be applied here. Doesn't matter. The term gilded, I thought was reserved for gold plating. Like, I, I thought something gilded was plated with gold. And this <laughs> this is so fucking nitpicky and, like, doesn't matter at all. But... For whatever reason, it struck me while I was listening to it, but he, this this earring was once gilded in silver. Yeah, so the the word gilded does mean covered thinly with gold leaf or gold paint, but if you described it as gilded, you could imagine the process of gilding, but then just done with silver. Yeah. You know? But yeah, gilded is generally gold leaf or gold paint. Right. By definition. It doesn't... It doesn't... doesn't matter. doesn't mean anything. I just found it kind of interesting that... That seemed like something that wouldn't get past the rigors of like the way this book is written. Okay. This is this is like a funny bit of trivia, right? This isn't story impacting or anything like that. So I just I'm sharing this cuz it's funny. Brandon when he originally wrote the book wrote silver to be the opposite of pewter as opposed to tin. So it's just a funny metal swap. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it's, and again, that's not saying that it's a tin earring, but I think it, it, it specifically is used as reference as a call out to the fact that silver was originally in the metal system. Gotcha. But isn't. Fair enough. So, yeah. I just think it's a, you know, it's a funny little, yeah. funny little back reference. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to bring it up. Cause when you brought that up, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a good point to like talk about <laughs> some of the rewriting that was done. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It was in a first mm-hmm. draft. And then it's like, well, tin is actually the opposite of pewter. So that works better. Why would you use silver there? I think it was like the feedback that he got. So yeah, naturally, like you said, it doesn't feel like it's out of place because it's kind of a bit of trivia for, you know, gotcha. eagle eyed and like long term. It, it was more about the term gilded. I figured you would pick oh, okay. up on it. You know, PJ, sometimes there are things that I pick up on that I just cannot tell you. Okay. In this book. Unlike Red Rising, of which does foreshadowing, you know, like did foreshadowing, this book has so much shit that I can't even begin to try to point at stuff. And you just got to try to pick it up, man. Like, I don't I don't know what to tell you. How am I expected to do that? <laughs> Good question. I like, I don't know, man, what to tell you. This book is like a fucking we- woven rug. <laughs> it's a tightly woven rug complete complete side note i really am enjoying like looking at my bar behind me with the color changing i like i actually like the color change yeah i've been watching it too every once in a while when it shifts to red i like the glow in the room and the way it just reminds me of the uh, darth vader down the hallway in rogue one energy 
just hacking them up, you know? Yep. Makes that sound too. Just kind of like Donald Duck, but mm-hmm. slashing shit. Cool. Chapter cool. 31. Uh, we start with the logbook here. I literally read it at the beginning of the last chapter because it adds in to the perspective and reinforces it again. In the end, my pride may have doomed us all. And again, <laughs> this is kind of that concept that we were talking about just a moment ago with uh, with Sazed and sort of the idea of like not not being too hasty <laughs> about yeah. any of these thoughts. I yeah. feel like this section more than any so far, we are really... There's so much more to talk about than what's actually said, you know? Yes. Like this, this feels like not a very long chapter or section, but it feels like there's so much said and unsaid that we have to talk about. Yeah. There, this is a deceptively rich segment. Like there is so much here, especially when we're, we're hopping topics too. Like, it's not as though we're sticking and focusing on one topic and like delving into one thing deeply. Like we just moved from at the very beginning, we moved to politics. Then we moved to prophecy. Then we doubled down on prophecy. Now we're doubling down on politics. Then we're going to move to religion in a moment. And like so many concepts like wrapped up in a really interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. I love this chapter for a number of reasons but one of the reasons that i love this chapter is that we meet and spend time in the head of philin frandu a merchant and member of the council a ska of whom became merchant and was secretly running like a gilded empire underneath some noblemen before and now he can actually be in charge and is kind of the self-made man and is a piece of shit <laughs> an absolute weasel of a human but he's it's a fun perspective to be in for you know a couple of pages yeah yeah my first impression was that this is this is a chondra oh (laughs) i don't okay so that was my first impression but at the same time i don't know what that like how that would work being in the first person perspective like it feels we talked about every time i talk about like thinking that somebody's a chondra and we're in their perspective we kind of bring up the fact that that would feel like a real betrayal of like the reader author relationship a little yeah there's that big moment in one of those red rising books where something like that is pulled on us and it does feel like a little bit of a betrayal of that relationship and similarly i think that other authors are very aware of that and don't ever cross that line for the most part yeah other thing speaking of red rising there is if you haven't listened to red rising skip a little bit no no no, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil anything but there's a character not even going to say his name, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I 100% about. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that this absolutely he's, reminds me of. He's definitely a character in the second book. Um, yeah. <laughs> no question. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I'm not, I won't spoil anything. Yeah. I, kn- no, I know no for, illusions. I know for a fact that there are listeners in our Patreon that haven't read the second book yet, which... I'm excited mm-hmm. for her to do so, so we can talk about it. Yes. Yeah. But I think um, we've got a couple that haven't fully read it. Bing's also reading through it finally. He did. Oh, Golden okay. Sun. He's on Morningstar. Okay. There's a couple of people. Yeah. Specifically, Ziva just finished. Yeah. Red Rising. Red Rising. So. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, totally. That's the one forefriend of my mind. Is that. Yeah, fair. Yeah. 
You know, and and Phelan is a really fantastic character because you can really get the sense of what everyone and like fantastic like he's he is <laughs> fantastically a great gross. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, fantastic characters aren't necessarily good I, ones. You yes. know, like are like good people. I completely um, agree. I just like Straff is a great character. I fucking hate him. Piece of shit. Exactly. Trash garbage man. Um, Trash garbage man. Yeah, but we. I we think see that, the, that's his given name, right? Trash garbage man. Yeah, trash garbage man straff venture the third. Um, <laughs> yes, quite. But we we get to see the council through through someone else who kind of sees it their way, which is interesting. Versus the first perspective that we get is Ellen, and it's starkly different, right? The way that he views this is kind of like things to manipulate and pieces on the chessboard to like push around to some degree. And he also gives us like this reveal of like, he's got a secret person in the audience that sets this expectation, which is really fun throughout this chapter of like, Oh, who who's in the audience? Who is it? Who's it going to be? But I think most importantly, and I think Brandon's aim here more than anything else is to also show us how Ellen has seriously changed under the mentorship of Tindwell. Yeah. So reading this, I hadn't realized that he had not addressed the assembly at all since beginning his lessons with Tindwell. The way I understood it was that this was a work in progress over the course of several weeks, at least. I think it is. But like, he's the king, so he can he can just pull the trigger on a lot of things. Yeah. But in that time, I would have assumed that he would have met with the council. I thought they had a standing like weekly meeting. I think you're right. I think they do. Because they discuss, so, they discuss going to go meet Straff, and she shows up after that. So it's probably been like a week. I don't know. It doesn't feel inconsistent. I just don't know what, what to make of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I get that. I get that. Do you have any thoughts on the impression that we get on Ellen's changes? Like, it was it was impressive. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. like even this slimy character expresses like. <laughs> kind of in a gassed reaction yeah, like to a, this like like th- this is he i think a gassed is a pretty good way of putting it. yeah like it's a, yeah i think yeah. that's i think that's the right because he's like is that a dueling game mm-hmm. like there, there's so much different about he seems like a completely new person yeah yeah this weasley man is suddenly kind of like blown away by his ex-king to the point of where he's also like stuttering where he seemed very confident before you know even in even in confrontations yeah, he ends up just standing, not yeah. realizing that he's staring, and he gets called out for like, "Do you have something to say?" <laughs> he's like, just grunts and sits down. Yep. So we we formally begin the meeting with Penrod being elected as the chancellor to preside over the whole thing, which is a part of this, you know, this conversation that's going on with Phelan. Even is like, you can't direct us, and it's like, well, have you elected a chancellor yet? You need to in order to move forward. I'm just here. I know the rules. I'm just making sure we follow them. And then the chancellor will preside over it. So he gets elected in lieu of kind of the kingly leadership. And we get a political speech. Yay! <laughs> you know, you know, I love my speeches. But the, the tone of this one is intended to sway, clearly moving the group through a story to recognize the reality of kind of their shared history. And one that's more aimed at the people than the councilman, which even Finlan is kind of... Like, why are the people here? Like, this is just a stupid leftover rule of, like, why are you doing this? And you could say that it's also aimed at them, though, but they're kind of, like, collateral damage to some degree. Like, either party could technically be intended collateral damage from the speech. But most importantly, as a through line, was the content. That admitting the political truth of them being the children of the survivor of Hatson and sort of embracing the 
survivor doctrine, I guess you could call it, of the new religion that's beginning to sprout up around Kelsier. Yeah, the speech was really concise and really well delivered. Takes 17 minutes, but we don't see that. So we see a very (laughs) pared down version of it, I guess. But it was really impressive next to like the sort of supposed sort of theoretical speech that Phylon gives in his mind about what he thinks Elland will say when he comes in. It's mm-hmm. all like naggy and childish and like give the scars yeah. money. A lot of ums, you know. But seeing those two next to each other lets us know that Tindwell's lessons haven't fallen on deaf ears, you know? Yes. So this point is honestly the first time I really saw Ellen as like a fully grown ass man, like just like an actual mature adult person. And it's not the like, I'm not sure the best way to describe it because he's always been an adult. We met him when he was 22. He's what, 24, 25 now? Like, he's always been an adult person, but this is the first time he's actually a mature person that his presence commands respect, which is exactly what Tindwell has been training him for, and it was really, really impressive. Yeah, it's it's remarkable to see. I, I really like your, your comparison to calling him, like, a mature adult man. I think that that's a really apt thing because we spend a lot of time seeing him kind of, you know, he's flirting. He's he's playing the, you know, the, the nobleman with Vin a lot. And even with the crew, he plays it kind of fast and loose a little bit. Tinwell's making him tighten that up, as we kind of discussed a little bit last week. And he's kind of landing in the middle there and not, like, fully committing. But here with the people, here with the people, he's being the king that he probably should have been. Yeah, it's interesting. He's finding his path, his road. Too little, even though too he's late. dead to post. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been would have been pretty cool to do could, that before. Could have been great, man. Could have been great. You messed up just a just a little bit, just a little bit, just a bit. But now it's time for a very literal Game of Thrones. Lots of backstabbing. Some <laughs> uh, some additional coy wordplay to to get people to do things misdirections and more intrigue we get right here at the end Um, and we begin with the nominations with the rules that will guide the proceedings that are to follow the ska very quickly stand up the moment basically that it's available for open vote they stand up and they nominate penrod penrod is an honorable man via ellen's ingenious move to make sure that he was nominated alex elland and that piece of shit fineland Finland nominates Ashweather set the secret man mm-hmm. in the back, which the story makes you think that it's Zane. And it's like, it's see, you yeah. see Zane early from Vin's perspective and it's actually set. It so totally threw me off. Like I thought I was really, really clever thinking <laughs> that I had sniffed out the idea that Straff was going to get nominated. Fucking Branderson. Well done. <laughs> well done. He went with the other guy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it caught me off guard. Totally, totally and completely. The only thing that I think might have been a little bit more crazy here is if he would have gone with like Josties, you know, like Josties shows up, but it would have been a very different environment then. It would have been a different environment. And I feel like this assembly wouldn't have happened because there'd be an army of Coloss here, too. 
Probably true. That's <laughs> <laughs> a very fair assumption. Yeah. 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 It, this is a well-done reveal. Ashweather's set being this disabled man who's ultimately carried up on his chair by the people and kind of brought up to the front. We then cut to chapter 32. Yeah. I love, I'm, I'm just going to say this, you don't have to immediately respond, but I do love that right at the end of this chapter too, it's it's Breeze and Vin kind of talking back and forth as well, and it's kind of their banter. I love how central Breeze really is in kind of all of these different political situations because according again to the general lore, he would be the one that's most knowledgeable in these kind of political games, especially since he faked being a nobleman for so long, of which maybe isn't a fake. Regardless, the... I love that he's like, oh, we're in trouble right at the end. And there's kind of that, you know, that sort of oh shit moment from Breeze is a good one to see. Because he's generally calm, cool, and collected for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he is. God, I really want to know what happened between him and Alrianne and what kind <laughs> of relationship he actually has with Ashweather. We do get kind of some hints of that. We get a, we get some hints about the abduction right at, <laughs> right at the end. We'll definitely talk about that. Okay, moving into this here. We start off with a logbook in chapter 32. I had never received much attention from my brethren. They thought that my work and in, my interests were unsuitable to a world bringer. They couldn't see how my studies, which focused on the nature on nature instead of religion, benefited the people of the 14 lands. 14 lands. I wonder what sort of remnants those have now if any because i think there's like five major like sections there's a couple it was even mentioned by sazed pretty specifically there were a couple more than just the ones that are directly on the map but even if we look oh my god that's such a tiny map there we go farmost southern western northern eastern central so it's six eight and then i think i think we said islands somewhere else yeah there's the terrace there's even the crescent dominance on the very top edge of the map oh i don't see crescent yeah so it's it's on the top edge and on the bottom edge on the right oh i'm looking at the map before that yeah that one's too tiny yeah okay so maybe maybe it's not too far off well maybe the lord ruler really did rearrange the world you know like maybe You know, who knows what the Lord Ruler actually did with the power? It's been a thousand years. Like, yeah. look a thousand years back and what our, like, countries looked like. Quite different. More than 14, but also less than, than 183. Yeah, right. Right, that's the number, I think? Something like that. It's like 180-something. Yeah, 186 maybe? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on your perspective, what country you're from, how many countries you believe exist in the world. One. Oh, fair. Cool. And now we get we finally meet the man with the badass name, Ash Weatherset. And man, does he come onto the stage like a roaring thunder? No, um, I mean he he gets walked onto the stage like a I know. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean that. I didn't. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like he does get picked up in the chair and like walked on the stage. But he's pretty pretty fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What do you make of this honest and kind of brazen political rival of Ellen's? I mean, I, through this entire section, but here specifically, I really appreciate the political chess that's going on and how how theatrical it all is made. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it could have so easily been, it's, it could have easily been written flatly 
but like there there is there's teeth to it i guess i don't know about honest i don't know so much about calling him honest he's he's blunt and he is matter of fact but i I don't think that those facts facts the matter of factness is rooted in honesty i think he is very much doing what he can to massage himself into a position where like he's the best option you know there's a grain of truth in everything that he says but i don't think it's honest i don't know yeah, I can I can agree with that. I think that's entirely what he's going for. He he is saying, you know, I you're right. You're right. It's it's less it's less honesty. It's he's just very open, I guess. Like, and he's very truthful about the whole thing. Like, he's asked like what the plan is, and it's like, well, I'm gonna it's recidivism, baby. We're gonna revert to what was going on before. I'll leave some people in power. I won't take away stuff. I'll give everyone here titles. Like, I'll do. Yeah, I'll sure I guess that's a good care point. Here, he's you know? straight up. He's like, yeah, yeah it's it, I'm bribing you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like, so that's where I think, like, honest, but, like... Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like, it's probably not the best word. No, but it's not... You're right, it's not wrong. I liked so. I liked what you are saying, though. It's like, he's he is very blunt. He's very direct. I mean, everything is just, like, kind of... Here it is. Here's the plain English. What do you want? All right, meet me, meet me in two weeks... Or meet me in a week at my place if you want to, like... I'm going to talk with y'all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know exactly what you'll get out of the deal. Am I, am I bribing you? Absolutely. It what what else is this what did you think it was going to be (laughs) you know there's that kind of character can be really interesting and is so different from everyone else that we've had in this story because what repercussions are there for bribery like there there's nothing that it's not like a back alley dealing to deal with bribery like this because it's who's gonna enforce any laws against it right right King's been deposed, so it's not like he's going to make a a call. Everyone has a ton to gain. You know, we were talking about the corruption of the assembly here. That's this is it. Except ska, you know. except the ska. Yeah, clearly <laughs> we're in their head. Yeah, well they're going to get titles, so they'll be okay. But the the rest well, of I mean, the ska. I mean the the populace. Ah, yes, the populace are not going to be doing well. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah, but yeah. This this is a shattering of Ellen's plans. All told, this is a much clever, more clever political maneuver than Straff pulled off or even attempted yeah 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 it's i it's just so shitty (laughs) yes yes it is but it's so like fuck man there's so many things to like consider here not least of which is alrianne and her like her role in all this because i don't think she's innocent of it Mm. straight up like I, i absolutely believe that she is like an informant in some way. I don't know. I don't know. I'm excited to learn how she fits in because I think the idea of it being a kidnapping is very much a loaded phrase that will undermine any of the goodwill that Ellen has put forward when debating set in general. Like It's going to be the talking point when it comes to any sort of public interaction between the two yeah i think i have to let that one sit all right that's fine i have many thoughts i have many thoughts but i will say that like the the fun part now is that we we have we kind of know our our players in this game now fully like we know josties we know straff now we know set and we kind of have an understanding 
of set. And so now we've got a measure on these men as they play their Game of Thrones, I guess. It's not Game of Thrones. It's a Game of Thrones and whoever controls the city of Luthadel. And I mean, that that was Game of Thrones too, right? Yeah, but they're kind I mean, of angling it, for some like thiefdoms and stuff like that. There's some like minor plays here and there. With with the major goal being King's Landing. Well, okay, but but <laughs> let's think like Daenerys did conquer a lot of other places like or unite. Yeah, with the goal of taking King's Landing. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, burning <laughs> it to the ground, you mean. You know. It can be both. Por que no los dos? God. Yeah. That I'm not I'm not giving it more conversation the end of that series you know the two minute summary i think it ended exactly how it would have it just needed another two seasons to get there at least at, i mean within reason i think you could have done it yeah it, less, it felt, less teleporting yeah. that's another conversation I, I like that we have all we've got all of our pieces on the table now mm-hmm. kind of formally that we're aware of in, inside of the political game so now the political games can start proper. Any other thoughts on on set? Not we. I mean, we we talk we talk a little bit more about it, but like anything else that we you think we missed? I mean, I'm I'm pretty in lockstep with Vin. Oh yeah, in in the idea that he's a mistborn mm-hmm. and is like this is entirely sham. And honestly, let me, like honestly, I don't think it's a sham that he's paralyzed he can be paralyzed and also a misborn yeah yeah nothing's to say that you couldn't be yeah like but the idea that he is physically weak is not necessarily believable especially when he's when we consider that he's referred to as the most powerful lord like outside of the central dominance and we understand that power is derived not only from bloodline but from kind of force which is also derived from bloodline when it comes to to mistborn so those can be one in one like the fact that he's that powerful makes it way more believable to me that he could be at the very least like misting but probably mistborn i'm on her side with that (laughs) Sure. We'll definitely talk a little bit more about that one at the end, but I, I think good. I'm with you. I just want to make sure that we didn't miss anything on the political machination side. We've gotcha. got a couple more things, gotcha. of course, to talk about inside of this chapter. But like Penrod and Ellen have a very frank conversation uh, about the current situation after Set leaves kind of the dais for a second and kind of adjourns the formal meeting of the assembly and turns it into kind of the mishmash of people wandering around. What do you make of, again, Penrod and Ellen's exchange regarding authority and kind of philosophy versus practical politics. This brings us back, I think, to that initial argument with the assembly of like saving the most people, like saving the most people's lives. But this argument still ignores the fact that many or most of them will be just thrown back into the slavery that they were in initially. So like, yeah, it's, it, it's the same argument that we've already talked about a few times, so I don't think we necessarily have to rehash it, but it's different circumstances, kind of. Yeah, the question is, is have they improved with, like, Penrod being the potential leader or a potential for, you know, well, I guess he wasn't necessarily a potential leader, but potentially handing over the throne to Straff versus now we're talking about directly electing 
set. Right. Like those were kind of the considerations beforehand. So, yeah, there's, I don't think there's more to say that we haven't already said, but like, it's just very evocative of that same conversation that we've had before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that what adds to this a little bit more in terms of context here is that little passage that Ellen recalls within this section where he does literally recall something about like the anytime that a rebellion has broken out, the Lord ruler has a need to strike back against it because they naturally break down and kind of give themselves back because they don't know what to do. So they give in to order and authoritarianism naturally is the, the way that that passage kind of points. Right. Yeah. That package package that passage it's a great package. It's a big old brown parcel. <laughs> it, it is. It gives total illumination to that side of the argument. You know, like it, it is such a great way to describe that side of the argument while not actually taking sides. Right. Yeah. 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 Without a doubt. It is at the very least a great way to say that this has been contemplated before. This has been considered. There are texts even that Ellen has absorbed on this subject matter. So it's not right. a new thought. It is a very real and existing thing that the Lord Ruler dealt with over time. Or rather yeah. didn't deal with and dealt with itself. Yeah. So yeah. we end the chapter with Vin being sus as fuck, just like you, about uh, Set being a misborn. <laughs> and... Uh, his son, whatever the fuck his name is, this is Lester the most ridiculous Bonus. name. Lester Bornes <laughs> is more reasonable than Generidian or however the hell this is. I didn't, I didn't even legit write it down in my notes because I was like, this is fucked and I'm not going to say it right, no matter how hard I try. Um, in his notes, he wrote G N E O R D I A I A I A I A N A N A I A N. I sounded like a robot right there. You kind of did, yeah. You had you had a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of an impression there. So it's his, the name is spelled G N E O R N D I N. Norinden with a silent Nor- G. Norinden. N- Norinden. He's got to be a motorcycle. I can't remember how it was pronounced in the audiobook. Otherwise, it could be Janorindin. Could be. Brap. Brap, brap. Yeah. No. Sounds like a motocross bike. The more that I read this. Yeah. Yep. Fuck this name. Janorindin. Once again, invites, it puts out that invite to Ellen for the keep and the dinner in a week and the, the thing. And it's like, we also need to discuss the abduction of my daughter. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're coming. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to do anything to you. It's your city. Like, you're safe. Stop it. That's what he wants you to think. Yeah, I mean, fair. Uh, uh, hmm. So this is, yeah, like a couple different points that I've already touched on. One totally fuck. in line with vin and two like this is this is where that sort of conversation about scale and like how long things take and what sort of timeline we've been talking about comes into question is like a week sounds so very casually like mentioned here where it seems like we're dealing with like hours and week or hours and days as like very important amounts of time so to have a, a full week of another king that's sieging the city 
inside of the walls with a thousand men, it seems a lot more significant than what they're making it out to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not insignificant. Let's put it that way. And this is also also three days from now is when the election's supposed to take place, right? Because it was three days after nominations. No. That's why they did the nominations now was because they needed to expedite it because it was a minimum of three days of waiting. And they wanted to have a king. It is a minimum, but like the point was to have a king picked as soon as possible so that like Luthadel is left isn't left kingless for too long. So that's why you push for the nominations now. So Penrod says it here. We adjourned for two weeks. At the top of 387. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Ellen's hope was to pull it off as quickly as possible, but likely because of the introduction and the want to go through and give everyone their due time with with set, with electors. I had I had a weird sort of distrust of Penrod that I didn't yeah. mention because mm-hmm. it felt like I distrust everybody, but that makes... I really don't trust Penrod now. Yeah, is your is your heart pitter pattering for you now? There's another <laughs> character from Red Rising that I am very like thinking about. <laughs> okay, that's that's interesting. That that comes in Dark Age. There are many untrustworthy characters all over the place in there's, every book series. To be honest, there's a lot, but I, I feel like that's a very obvious comparison that I'm talking about. I think I know who you're talking about. I think you should. Oh, yeah. No, it clicked. It clicked. Yo and Tiendo. All right. So we move in. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, fair point. So we move into our final chapter of the week, chapter 33. We've got a logbook here again. As the one who found Elendi, however, I became someone important, foremost among the world bringers. Again, Elendi complaining about getting a promotion. I'm sorry, Quan complaining about getting a promotion. Well, it's it's the guilt and sort of regret that he's, like, viewing this entire thing through. You know, like, this is all written at the same time. So it's not not like a diary like we had from Elendi's perspective before, where it was like, things progress over time. This is all written at once, as far as I understand. Yeah, it's carved clearly. Yeah. Yeah. All of these feelings, like, it's all the same things that he's feeling throughout this whole thing so i don't know what else to add to that sure i i mean i think that it's it's designed to be a simple passage and i think that these two follow directly in order yeah so with that like them following kind of directly in order one of i think that the impression that i get a little bit from the section here talking about the the sort of world bringers and, and talking about these things is like he went from someone who cared about the religion but was focused on nature, was told that he was like doing the wrong thing to then the one in charge all of a sudden. So it's almost like you gave the the worst guy in class <laughs> the most important thing. And so that that's just like another double down. I'm like, oh, fuck, of course, he's like actually the announcer because he's, you know, like, why else would he be brought to this kind of attention to some degree? Why yeah. the prominence, so to speak? Yeah, I don't know what to make of Quan. I don't know. I still don't know how to feel about him because sometimes I feel bad about the position that he's in and genuinely feel like he's regretful or like he feels guilty. But at the, like sometimes I feel like he's just a backtracking flip floppy dude. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know what to think of him. That's, I mean, that is a fair assessment. I think that you're a little jaded. Jaded. Perhaps, but I think you're not making... You can you can straight up call me jaded. <laughs> okay, I'll fair. Admit to you're it. jaded. Um, and and you, you've you got, you know, that very specific perspective here. So it's it's reasonable. It's it's okay. No one, no one faults you, PJ. So cool. All right, we'll move on from there. We've got a little. We've got one more little section of the logbook to talk about, but it's a small thing. So let's not get fixated on it too much. Moving in here, I want to kick off this section actually with a quote. Um, we don't often read that many large quotes from this, but I really wanted to get this dialogue in here because I think it's a really great exchange um, between Orsur and Vin. So starting off here with Vin, prophecies, legends, and foretellings. Vin said, slapping her hand down on her sheet of notes. What's the point? Why did the terrorists even believe in these things? Shouldn't a religion teach something practical? Orsur settled down on his haunches upon the chair. What would be more practical than gaining knowledge of the future, he said. And then a little bit later, as they're kind of, you know, talking about this a little bit more, cut back to Orsur again saying, Do not dismiss someone's beliefs because you do not understand them, mistress. And I fucking love this. I think that this yeah. is a great kind of diatribe and conversation that they end up having about religion and sort of the the ideas of belief and faith and like the concept yeah. of you know what it means to you doesn't mean that that's not what it means like it means something entirely different from them and you're not even trying to understand you know she's looking and, at it all as utility <laughs> as opposed yeah. to yeah there's that and i mean it's a perfect response from our sewer because we had that conversation earlier about Chandra like religions right or is that later oh no that's that's here that's right here right oh now. that's here yeah okay yep okay so we're about to go into that gotcha yeah. yeah yeah but i think it's important to sort of remind vin that religion doesn't necessarily need to be rooted in ultimate truth or to be in like to be useful at all like there there are uses that can come out of it that aren't rooted in like strict reality like she's looking for you know yeah i i think it's so great to hear this from orsur as opposed to Sazed, right because this is something that Sazed's brought up before is it's like well which ones do you believe and he says well all of them you know this was in mistborn but like that's a great emphasis on character and sort of the idea that like this is just they're they're systems of hope and they each have like different components that make sense and they assemble something really interesting you've got the darth vader lighting behind you again it's great <laughs> yep yeah but yeah like it's it's a very a very complex thought on on sort of religion and what it what it means to people and especially like you said when we talk about the conjure religion inside of this too it's that's a double down that's an emphasis to some degree of like you don't get it you know right yeah she makes a joke here she says that she's like distracted right so there's there's a couple of things that happen in the kind of background periphery that i want to mention she says that she's been distracted lately and then in italics we had thump 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 <laughs> it's just like it's a great reminder of like yeah this drum is probably just beating in her head all day to some degree you know just like in the back of her mind always but then in addition to that we get this idea that like this dog laughs but it doesn't laugh like it laughs kind of canininely but not like fully i'm just imagining like this disembodied laugh coming from this dog with like a little bit of a canine in- inflection over top i don't know like the, like the dog from duck hunt right i have 
I don't think I've ever heard that one. Oh, I have. Yeah, I know. I know. I know the like move. I've, I just don't remember the sound. Is but, it? I, I don't actually know if there is one other than just like musical notes. Yeah, it's probably like just eight bit chip tune. Yeah, I think there. It's probably mm. more than eight bit, but you know what I mean. But it's probably a chip tune, no less. Like it. It's not actually like. It's just eight bit sound. That's reasonable. Yeah. So it's yeah, not the same. No. No. Not at but, all. Yeah, a disembodied dog laughing would be unsettling, to say the least. To say the least. I think I think we're doing it a bit of a disservice by just calling it unsettling. But, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think it's deeply haunting. This is this, haunted. This, I think so. Have you seen Annihilation? I know we've talked about this at least a couple um, of times. Annihilation. Natalie Portman goes into the woods with a bunch of other scientists that are all, but the the woods is like there's there's a giant bubble and there's like a lighthouse that gets struck struck by a meteor and starts to warp and change the environment and make it really weird and strange. Ooey gooey. I don't think you have because we talked about it with Zeph when we got really drunk that one time. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you had not seen it. Definitely see it. There is a moment in that movie in which something like this happens and it is glued in my brain and is one of the most horrifying things i have ever experienced in my life all right directed by alex garland again who did devs which is again what started the show so fucking devs uh, again it all circles so back good. to alex garland thank you alex garland he's got a new movie coming out but that, which one it's called men hmm yeah i Maybe watched the we'll first 10 seconds that. of the trailer and it looked cool and i was like i'm in don't care i'm not watching it anymore that's all i needed maybe we was, should do that Perfect. for the show we probably will at some point okay so i want to read this passage here i originally didn't put this in the notes but i've got kind of a little bit of context here i, I just want to read so that we know exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the contra religion right so on 393 we get into the conversation about orsur wanting all of like it not necessarily orsur but the contra believing that all humans are eventually going to die and like that's kind of the wish right that they will eventually kill themselves right or eliminate themselves. And they have this conversation about like prophecies and sort of expressions of hopes and like the idea that religion is also a metaphor in some way. And sometimes prophecies are metaphors. But specifically, we get down here and it's like all the humans dead. How do we die off? The Contra kill us? Or Sur says, of course not, because the Contra can't kill. The contract says, we honor our contract, even in religion. The stories say that you'll kill yourselves off. You are of ruin, after all, while the Chondra are of preservation. You're supposed to destroy the world, I believe, using the Coloss as your pawns. So ruin is capitalized. You're of ruin. So that is something proper. Yeah, I mean, it's a religion, right? So, And preservation's capitalized. Okay, okay. I don't know. I just kind of take comfort in knowing that human self-destruction is present in more worlds than just Earth. I realize that I made that a prediction. That doesn't need to be a prediction. Um, there's nothing there, really. But I don't know why yeah. I did that. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is funny. That is kind of a great comfort, is that, like, there, there's still this element of mutually assured destruction in the background of this novel that's just anticipated and expected. Like, the inevitability of humans killing each yeah. other. Yeah. I mean, what else are we going to do with our, all our time on this world? It's true. Either get off of it or, like, kill everybody else. Uh, there are <laughs> an infinite are number options. of possibilities. No, there's just those two. I think... Our nature doesn't allow for anything else. 
based on history. We could just kill a lot. We've become too efficient at that. At killing people? At killing all of, like, killing a lot of us? Yes. It's going to get out of hand. Well, I'm just talking, like, <laughs> environmental. I was thinking, like, environmental stuff would, like, kill a majority of people, but there'd still be pockets of people left. It's just yeah. kind of natural, but, yeah. Okay, well, that was bleak. <laughs> Everything's natural when you consider the universe. True. Do you have any more thoughts on the religion and sort of the conversations? I also think that naturally I am of the opinion that invention is nature as you should think because it is we are coming up with it. And so it is a natural occurrence. Motherfucker. I think I think artificial AI is the natural human evolution. Like I think humans exist to bring non-biological life into existence. Like I think that is the evolutionary path of life. Yeah, right. that's my my take on it. And I don't, I'm not, I don't even begin to disagree with you here. I just think that there's a a little that's bit more. There's not, more nuance not that relevant been into that. But yes, <laughs> there, yeah, oh, there's can, a lot more new, a lot in, more nuance. Absolutely. In general, I can nod my head and say mostly yes. <laughs> I'm not um, prepared to talk nuance. With I think that, that is especially I think that is an inevitable. My second back half beer. <laughs> Yes, true, 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 true. Any anything else on the the side of religion here that you think that we missed on the religion conversation? Uh, I'm I'm just mostly interested in learning more about it because about the contra religion or yeah, because he gave us just just nuggets. He gave us nuggets of things that are so interesting to learn, like to to ponder on with no actual like context, real context. Yeah, so. It's just a point of interest for me right now. Yeah, and that's fair. That's a legit, legit thing to be interested in at this point. I mean, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that it is very interesting. And I think that everything with the Chondra is like, for me, when I was reading this for the first time, this was my hook. I fucking loved the Chondra, man. I was like, give me more. I want to know more. <laughs> and every little tidbit, I was like, fuck, fuck, give me give a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. 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 So we cut to Elland and more and more in the people, more and more people in the city are getting sick, overwhelming one of the clinics. It's really not Ellen's place, of course, but he still ends up acting like the king and kind of being the regent in the situation and kind of managing the crisis, lending assistance as though he were still in charge. Yeah. What would you what'd you make of that? It's a great character moment for Elland and it shows his true colors. It really puts his money where his mouth is, so to speak. I'm curious if there's going to be any pushback on his decision to let them use like one of the abandoned keeps, not because they'd opposed to the use of it, but because like, because he made the decision unilaterally, you know, like I, I feel like he's going to get some pushback on just the fact that he made a decision when he didn't have the authority to do so. Not that it was the right decision to make, but because he he didn't have the authority so but yeah he's dealing with a pressing situation and he doesn't have time to like go through the proper channels but that's government i mean and and that's kind of the thing with with his leadership right is that it is kind of lead from the front and he's like he knows that these places are empty they aren't being used this is okay there's nothing wrong with what he's doing he's really just guiding people in place there's no claim on these empty noble keeps you know they're from when people fled so there's a rational response that then he can inform people of later. It's like, I was taking care of the people. Do you mind? And they're, they're yeah, probably going to be like, no, it's fine. Government's not rational. Well, I mean, 
no, that's how we have what's happening right now happening, you know? And by that, I mean in the book. <laughs> sure. Not, not in the real world, but not not in the real world. <laughs> so we'll just we'll just leave that bomb there. Any any thoughts on, you know, any any other thoughts on this? The poisoning um, that's suspected or I don't even know where to go for that. You know, sure. like that's just another point of maybe a contingency plan of some something to be exploited later as a contingency but like the plan already went through so now it's just kind of something to get cleaned up i don't know i'm sure it will my guess is that it was something that could have been important but the events that unfolded at the assembly meeting made them not important anymore and now it's just something to deal with yeah all right another thing to be handled another one to tack on to the the giant conspiracy board that PJ is working on. Yeah, you can't see that wall. But <laughs> no one can see any of the walls, PJ. I mean, I can't, but like, <laughs> listener at home, PJ pointed to a wall. <laughs> so we cut back to Vin going about to try to figure out who exactly the spy might be. And we run into Doxon. They have a conversation, a check-in that is kind of a refresh of the same conversation that we ended up talking about for four hours in Mistborn. And having him have changed his mind at least slightly, like altered it a little bit. Not fully, but like he he has a different rationale for why he kind of feels the way he does. There's still a lot of pain here. And, and that's really obvious and some internalization of what the crew had done slaughtering the nobles themselves and sort of Kelsier's ruthless plan and, and goals and moves. I, I find this to be a deeply tragic moment for for Docs and sort of a, a deep, deep reveal of like where that pain really lives with him. And, you know, I, I think this is a great note. And while it's not an absolutely bulletproof alibi for what Vin's trying to do here and sussing out exactly who is this conjurer impersonator it does seem beyond reasonable doubt that someone wouldn't be able to study a note like that at mm. least from vin's perspective like this is this is deep and profound shit yeah a couple points to make i don't remember if we addressed it in the show or the devil's cut or just on the patreon or or whatever we ended up doing but we end like that conversation you talked about that lasted four hours it lasted four hours Including, I, th- I think it might have even been longer because so. there was yeah. a couple hours after we got done recording that we talked about it. And it ended up being like one of one of my favorite conversations that we've had in a long time. And like, it sucks that we only came to like an actual resolution long after we were done recording. So, you know. Yes. Yeah. After it's nearly whatever. two hours. So like we yeah. couldn't go back and even try to record like how we got sensibly to the answer that we got. No. Yeah. But and at that point, I think we were both we both looked at the clock and we're like, it's almost three in the morning. Like <laughs> we need to go to bed. You're gonna yeah. wake up in two hours and yep. go to yep. work. So regardless, this is a really interesting conversation and insight into docs. I am curious though. I thought it was said at one point that Condra gained the memories of their targets am i completely off base in that or was that something that was mentioned i do not believe they get memory i thought that was mentioned but i mean no but they generally study the people so they they can appear very similar and they've got like natural brains they're they're very adept at mimicking but they generally study the people so okay 
Okay. Gotcha. Because I, I thought when we were talking about Lord Renew and like he, he knew a lot of the connection, like I thought, I thought there was something there about him, like inheriting memories from Lord Renew, but no, cause he doesn't inherit memories even from Kelsier. Right. Right. He says that kind of specifically. Yeah. Yep. That's about right. Okay. Or sir, though, of course, inside of all this, even when we think we get the solid feeling about Docs, places some doubt in us about whether or not he's actually good in the end here. It seems to be kind of leaning in hard on in the no camp that he's not necessarily fully safe, as there are many ways that Condra can get information out of a person, be it the torture of them by a master, be it any other number of small pieces of information and like ways that they would get stuff, even deeply personal details about an individual to, uh, to help their portrayal. This is a really important thing for Arsura to do, I think. To reveal? Just to do. Like, the, this action that he's taking. He, he, even if he believes that Vin is right, he has to be the foil to Vin's trust right now. Because mm-hmm. she is, she is thinking so emotionally about her friends. Like, she needs somebody to be uncharacteristically for Vin she is abandoning her caution quite a bit so she needs Orsor to be that externalized sense of caution and that sort of shadow of a doubt giver okay yeah I I think you're right I think that this is entirely her knowledge of what the Condra can and can't do is based on literally the interaction with Orsor Right. Entirely. So, yeah, everything is derived from what Orsor says. But she's in, a, in this position where she's predisposed to want to dismiss her friends from any... The, the, Wrongdoing. All she, any, all she wants is to clear them. And she's kind of taking... She, she's running with what she thinks are the rules. And yes. She needs right. Orsor to kind of level her a little bit. Which you need to do in this sort of dire situation of finding the finding the imposter. You need to understand that it can be so well done, despite feeling like it's a safe bet to assume that they're not based on like a conversation that they had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a very fair thing to bring up in this this moment, this situation. The chapter ends with a conversation about the contract and a likely target that could have been replaced, that of Captain Demu, the trustworthy guard that Kelsier helped prop up during the cave fight in Mistborn. Final Empire. Yeah, that's certainly a good possibility. We really haven't interacted with him in a while. Have we interacted with him at all in this book? Yeah, a couple of times. We have? Okay. He brought in Tindwell. He... I think informed us of... No, he didn't inform us of all Rianne. Uh, that was kind of Vin and combination of other things. He informed us of the body, I think, right at the beginning as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a couple interactions, but what better way to stay out of the spotlight than to be the one that like points out the body? Yeah, than to be the detective, right? Yeah. You know, not necessarily full detective. He's not the one doing all the searching and investigating, but, you know, still. Mm-hmm. I think the point stands within reason. Yeah. Do you think it's Demu? 
I think it's possible. I'm not going to dismiss him of it. It almost feels too convenient to assume that it is based on this. But I mean, that's just getting into meta context of like the book that like the way that we're reading this book, you know? Oh, you mean that I may be leading you to believe that with where the chapter ended? Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that that makes it hard (laughs) to judge. Yeah. No, I feel. Yeah. I just, I think it's fine. Yeah. Ah, Finish my drink, folks. All right. So with that, we end the week reading chapter 34's logbook entry here. There was a place for me in the lore of the anticipation. I thought myself the announcer, the prophet foretold to discover the hero of ages. Renouncing Elendi then would have been to renounce my new position, my acceptance by the others. And so I did not. This was that pride. Yes. That was talked about. Pride goeth before the fall, etc. I really thought this was earlier. No. But it's right at the end. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, logbook on page 404 not found. I thought it was funny. I, I like saw that. And I was like, page four hundred four, not found. Yeah, not a whole lot to say about this one. It's it's just more of a reader, reiteration of what we were talking about this week, right? So it's just like it's an end cap on the note of pride, to some yeah. degree, which is another reason that I thought it made sense to end here, is because it's kind of a cohesive theme in these first several chapters. Cool. So with that, we would move into PJ's previous predictions, except for we don't have any to answer this week. There are many predictions. There are many predictions many these are going to go off like a bomb one of these episodes <laughs> it's going to be nasty for you right when i'm right I, all of i'm them. not i'm not answering that question but uh yeah i mean perhaps you know could mm-hmm. could be bad could be bad with that we're going to move into last week's question so oh i get why you went to the recursion book now i'm understanding you're you're looking for a daddy all right so <laughs> our question of the week this year is who's your favorite father figure slash daddy from a fictional story so you want to kick it off yeah i'll kick it off with myself well yeah I, or do you want you, me to I've, kick it off yeah read it off we'll go last oh we'll, we'll go yeah. last okay so yeah. artificer chose arthur weasley even though he didn't have much he did all he could for his children and accepted harry into the family without even blinking an eye this is a fantastic one this one actually made me like grab my chest a little bit when i was like oh that's such a good call like that's such a good you know adopted family like it's it's always a great Mm -hmm. great little trope all right ivana wrote theoden or rather king theoden as a kid i had a specific image of what a king looked like but ultimately he was like a really wise, kind father to all of his subjects. Let me tell you, when I saw him in the two towers after he was saved from Grima Tongue, I was like that pointy Leo meme, <laughs> the pointy Leo meme, you know, like the Leonardo DiCaprio. That's him. It's him. Theo here is also a great dad to his kids and other stuff as well. I had to edit this because I know Eowyn and Eomir were his niece and nephew. He was still a great father to them both, though, despite that kind of relationship going on as well the scene where he's dying and he says he knows Eowyn's face is one of the most emotional scenes in the film yeah yeah i'm in it's return of the king that one's in return of the... he doesn't die in two towers he dies no, in return of the king no, right yeah return yeah. of the king yep yeah yep. cool yeah i love that answer i love king theoden's a great answer yeah for sure yeah from summit my excellent father examples come from The Faithful and the Fallen by John Gwynn. Corbin's father, 
Thanon raised him to be a hardworking, thoughtful, and kind person and did everything he could possibly do to protect him. Corbin's second dad, Gar, gave up a different gave up a different king of kind I'm assuming king? kind. It probably just, I, I think kind. Yeah. Uh, gave up a different kind of life to be there for Corbin, train him and follow wherever his path took him. I'm not familiar with the story. So. Yeah, you haven't read them. So I haven't either, actually. So I do not know. But I know that there are many people in our Discord that are currently enjoying them and, and reading them. So, yeah. Hopefully Shark they bait. didn't butcher the names too much. They didn't seem Imagine. bad. No. Off. Looks right. Like Corbin, Thanon, Gar. That makes sense. Sharkbait originally provided a pretty good answer, I think. A very reasonable answer. One that might I might even steal yet because I haven't settled on it. But she slept on it and has a much better answer, she thinks. Giles... Giles Giles I always fucking forget I literally watched Buffy in 2021 uh, for the first time and I watched the entire thing Giles I think it's Giles Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the best father figure the man loses his job because he loves Buffy so much and doesn't want her to get hurt that he interferes in a centuries old tradition to test slayers when they turn 18 also he bangs her mom once (laughs) so that's an added daddy layer I remember (laughs) hitting that episode last year and I was like that's interesting (laughs) that was not a turn that I thought this story was gonna take but you know and and it was good it was good for him he needed that character moment he needed that growth he was having a tough time giles does literally like basically quit his job to protect buffy it's a great it's a great dad move from ziva windpunner captain tate from the evolution of calpurnia tate from jack by jacqueline kelly jacqueline 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 i would assume Jacqueline. jacqueline i've loved this book since i was little Captain Tate is Calpurnia's grandfather, but he's her father figure. He initially, he's initially grizzled and standoffish, but they connect over their love of biology slash science. Eventually, they discover a species together. It's heartwarming. Oh also God. not familiar, but that yeah. sounds wonderful. We don't expect you to be the one that's familiar. It's, it's me that they expect to be. I'm just kidding. That's a fuck big you. fuck you, PJ. Yeah, And then we have Marcus here providing Kavax Autolomanus, of whom is not only a great father to his own children, but he's also a great father figure to Mustang, Darrow, and Lyria. He gave love and guidance to them when they sorely needed it, and I think he also invites Darrow out on a fishing trip. I think you appended that a little bit later, which I, I you know, like, that's just, it's it's a warm, heartwarming thing of, like, teaching him to fish and, like, giving that offer. Yeah. I mm-hmm. it's This is a great fucking call. Kavax is an incredible father figure. All right, PJ, what's yours? I so it it is tragic and just troubled and deep and interesting, but bury from recursion. It's what the entire story revolves around. But this this tragedy that I mean, can I can I really even say much of it without giving away the entire story? I don't I, I don't know if I can. You could say the basic premise, right, is that he lost his daughter and like the the sort of that's that's immediate. You know that immediately. Yeah. And, and sort I mean, of the, his he. Yeah. Yeah. His entire motivation through the entire book is to mm-hmm. rectify that that damage. And that, yeah, like and and he feels guilty for it. I can't remember the turn of event, like exactly how it all unfolds. So I don't want to give like I don't want to say too much, you know. Yeah, because it kind of it unwinds on itself a little bit, but 
it's mm-hmm. definitely I definitely agree with you. I think that that's a fantastic example. And the moment that you whipped out recursion and then said, oh, yeah, that guy. I was like, fuck, you're right. That's a really <laughs> good. That's a really good pick. That's kind of fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little fucked mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? My pick is father from the road. So the the dad in the road of whom I think is a is a man who is left in very unfortunate circumstances via obviously the apocalypse that's happening around him and the absolute desolation. And then on top of that, his wife committing suicide and that leaves him with his kid and he does everything to protect that boy. So father and boy and man, almost nothing gut punches me quite as emotionally as the road gut punches me. Like I get destroyed every time I read the road and I do it to myself like once every year. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an experience in and of itself, but I just think he's an incredible character who has to make a ton of incredibly tough choices and sort of embodies, I think what most fathers would do when confronted with a situation like that. But part of the reality of that story is also that most fathers don't actually end up doing that. So our assumption of what like fatherhood means and what it is, is very different because this is the one guy that's actually doing the thing that you anticipate or expect and everyone mm-hmm. else is just oh, it's so brutal. Yeah. Yeah. He's that he's attempting to be a moral paladin in a world that does not give a shit. Yeah. Yep. Doing his best. Doing his best. Cool. With that, on that depressingly somber note, um, <laughs> we move into our question for next week. And I think what we're going to go with next week is favorite political turn of misfortune or fortune in a story. So give us give us that turnabout fair play. Talk. Give us your uh, your political backstabbery, whichever, whatever's whatever some of your favorite moments in a in a you know fiction mm-hmm. story. And obviously. We get a lot of submissions from our Discord. I think most of them. We are always, always happy to like hear from our listeners from whatever platform and what whatever means of communication that you use most frequently. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Reddit at Words Whiskey Pod. You can just email us at Words and Whiskey Show at gmail dot com. Or if you want to go like directly into our Patreon Discord, you can join us at patreon.com slash words and whiskey. Yes. Before we fully say goodbye, I just want to make sure that we we definitely pitch. I know that you're not doing that, but we uh, next week we're going to be reading chapters 34 through 38. But yeah, send us notes. Part of this is part of this is on me because I used to post every week the question of the week but we've been so in the rears on episodes like meaning doing it so close to publication that i haven't been able to collect them so that's part of the reason why but we'll i'll do i'll do better i'll do better folks <laughs> but you can also send them into us on any any day of the week and any other questions that you have if you've if you want if you have a question that you want us to answer absolutely send it in or that you want to pose i will vet it uh, of course but you know <laughs> And by that, I mean, I just don't want to spoil PJ. <laughs> that's my biggest concern ever with anything I do. <laughs> so most, that's basically the only concern. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So with that, that's where we'll leave you for the week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew, our producers, for making the show happen. 
You can check out the links in our show notes. You can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, website, all in one very convenient location. Yeah, we also want to take a second to thank our new patron, uh, Barback Straw Hat Cyborg. Super excited to have you on board here. Um, very, very excited to have you join the crew. I Beyond? obviously Go ahead. Other, uh, already mentioned our socials and email and Patreon, but words whiskey pod words and whiskey show at gmail.com patreon.com slash words and whiskey and be on the lookout for the new short pour feed it is words and whiskey short pours that's what it is it's its own it's its own separate feed so it doesn't interfere with these episodes so that you guys can subscribe and listen to our once a month bonus episode that we do with a variety of guests this week we actually just published the episode i mentioned this last week but we published the episode covering gideon the ninth unfortunately we need a bit of a snag of which is still kind of ongoing with with uh, spotify and apple in particular where they're taking a very long time to get the feed up and then not being super responsive on putting the episode up for some reason so that said, should be fine. Should be fine by the time this comes out. Yes, should be fine by the time this comes out. But yeah, subscribe there. Next month we are having, so getting the ninth with Pierre Ford. And then next month we are doing a special announcement fun episode with HowlerPod. Yes. yes. All right. Love those guys. With, we love them very much. With that, mm-hmm. we'll see you next week. Oh, hey, Aaron, Goodbye. if you're listening to this, hello. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> and Ben. But I know and, Aaron listens ben, weekly. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry, Ben. I mean, <laughs> mostly hi, Aaron. All right. All right.